0: Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord and you joining us online. Good morning to you also. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. I, I think it's a very exciting section of Scripture. What makes it exciting is how many benefits, I think, are within this morning's consideration. We will take verses 9 through Actually, verses 14 through 29. A little long, but what else do you have to do right now? (laughs) Let's stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Again, we'll take verses 14 through 29. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who, is a, who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. He answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, To it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind comes out only. It comes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Please be seated. A lot of action taking place there. Educated by failure, that's the title for this morning's message. And I hope that that theme is not lost for us as we go through this section of Scripture. There's quite a few spots and hot spots where a pastor reads it and would like to just take the morning talking about that verse. Uh, for example, you know, I, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How, how often have we been there as believers? What has happened prior to this, of course, the Lord had a private meeting up on the mountain with three of his disciples. And there we saw Moses and Elijah meet with the Lord. They were not in their res- resurrected bodies yet. That is not yet, had not yet taken place, but they were there. And after this mountaintop experience, as they come down to the valley at the base of the mountain, there's trouble waiting for them. And so often it's like that in life. You have a real good day in the Lord, a good day in ministry, and then there something is to come at you that is out of hell. And yet we are supposed to face it like believers now we look now at verse fourteen again, and we read reread that, that verse. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Now that's what was waiting for him: people arguing with his followers. And it uh, was amazing—an amazing time up on top of the mountain for the three, but those down in the valley had to deal with this. And where it says. The scribes disputing with them, we uh, know that Jesus didn't like the looks of that. As soon as he saw it, became very protective of his own. The world hates truth, and so it devotes itself to opposing truth or trying to get rid of it. Paul said they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And we see that very much today in the age of media. We you know, anything that YouTube and Facebook and Google and all the tech giants, anything that they are for, we probably should be against. If they th- say something is wrong or right, we should go the other way. Because they are fundamentally messed up. And they now represent the world on a very large scale. Yeah, we use them. We try not to use them. and takes the work to get around them. It's the age we live in. And so we try to make these things work for Christ. They sneer at everything that is godly. It is, it's just a reaction. It's automatic because of the darkness that they live in. They yield to nothing from God, incidentally. They never admit, never give in, especially to the truths that expose their lies. Well, this was the case with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the scribes were very closely connected to them. They yielded to nothing about Christ. They would see the miracles. They'd still protest. Verse 15, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. Only Mark points this out. Luke and Matthew cover the story. John does not mention it. But Mark points this this one little thing out that as Christ approached, there was something of his awesome glory lingering from that mountaintop experience and the people noticed it. How much so, we're not told. It's just passing mention. Of course, it's very likely that Peter was the one relating the story to Mark. Mark could have been here for some of this. And it stood out to him. Uh, and so it is captured in verse 16 now. And he asks the scribes, what are you discussing with them? I would love to have heard his tone. <laughs> the jealousy of God is protective, not possessive. It guards what belongs to him. And that's what we're seeing flash out here from him. I want to know what you're talking about with them, because whatever's coming out of you is an influence that I don't like. That's the idea. So it flashes outward to unwelcomed influences, as it should, that act upon the minds of the followers. Be good to if for more Christians to be a little bit more guarded when they read anything on the internet about Christianity. I don't. I am just I get my Christianity from my Bible, or from trusted Bible teachers, but I am very picky and happy to be so. In Exodus 32, when Moses came down from the mountain, he also incurred the devil up to no good with God's people. And it reached a point when Moses, verse 30, uh, Exodus 32, verse 26, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on Yahweh's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Yeah, I mean, what a powerful moment. Moses is about to administer swift justice. And he says, who's on Yahweh's side? And the Levites raise up without hesitation and side with Moses because Moses is siding with God. And Moses was was dealing with these influences in the camp that needed to be dealt with. And so this God that we love so much has power to forgive sin. And we have power to side with him against our own sin, against all sin. But hopefully, we do it graciously. um, Even on ourselves. Uh, Some Christians can be very kind to others and not too kind to themselves. Um, If that is you encourage you to put yourself with uh, the rest of us (laughs) when you're dealing with yourself. uh, Don't be overly hard on yourself. That does not mean dismiss issues that need to be addressed. It just means uh, do not crush yourself because who can handle that and still be effective? In verse 17, Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Well, the man expected to find Jesus when he came to his disciples, but the Lord was uh, coming down from the mountain at the time. Uh, Matthew adds that when he approached Christ, that he was kneeling down. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 14, And when he had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him. And so here we have this picture of Uh, the son, the only begotten son of the father, and yet there in the valley, the only begotten son of a man who this son is demon-possessed. Quite a contrast. Imagine you're one of the three apostles that went up to the mountain with Christ, and you know, you have this great experience that you can't tell anybody about right now. And then you're coming down the mountain and Christ is teaching you, you're asking questions about Elijah and the end times. And then you come down and you're faced with this. Uh, You're faced with the other, your comrades who have this look of defeat on their face. And yet they're also happy to see the Lord. Matthew is the one that identifies this as a demon in the child. And only Mark points out that the demon uh, kept the boy from talking. And verse 18, it's going to heat up in a minute. This is all background to the, to the story. Verse 18, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. What a miserable experience for everybody. They can see, you know, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And there are people who saw this happening to this little child. The age is not stated, but the word for child here in the Greek means a little child. It's the same uh, Greek word used for the, the boy Jesus when Pilate was looking for him. You know, go find him, to find the child that we could worship him to. And so he's, he's a little guy. Uh, we, we can safely say that. Evidently, he can walk. But these terrifying fits were something that others, just nothing they could do. So I spoke to your disciples, it tells us in verse 18, that they should cast it out, but they could not. But without Christ, it, there's nothing we really can do against the spiritual realm. John fifteen five I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Yeah, it's a basic of what belongs to our faith. A fundamental of Christianity is our utter dependence on Jesus Christ, which makes it difficult when we need something and he doesn't appear to be doing anything. Then faith has to kick in, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But how often have we been powerless? We pray, we apply as much wisdom as we can muster, we do all take all the steps we know how to take, and still... We have not dislodged the problem. It's still there, staring us in the face, attacking us oftentimes. Today, our victories are by truth, though. Without outward signs, mostly, there are still outward signs. But mostly, it's by truth that the church advances its mission. Today, the Lord, being invisible, is not absent Though many times we feel like he's not there, why doesn't he do something if he's so sovereign, if he loves me so much, why is not he, why is he not resolving these issues? Imagine if he resolved every single issue. Well, he's going to do that one day, just not here. We get to heaven, all of it's going to be gone. But here, here is a battleground, there's a battle for souls. And what we're learning from all this is that the just will live by faith. You, you don't have to like it or agree with it or sign off on it. It is presented to us, it is a fact. Uh, this is one of the main themes from this passage of Scripture. We are in the age of faith right now. We're not in the age of the law, we're not in the age of miracles and signs and wonders. But we are in the age of faith built on the law and built on miracles. Knowledge of truth is what the church really has to give to a world that is being sucked under by lies. It's so easy to lose sight of this because the carnal side of me says that's not enough. I want action and I want action now. Truth, what good is truth if I'm starving to death? If I'm being persecuted? If whatever, if I'm, I'm, I'm in pain, I'm writhing in pain, physical agony, what good is truth? God says, you're going to find out. But you've got to get through this. This is how it is. I believe that all the power that was available at the time of Christ and his apostles is still available. It just doesn't operate the same way. 2 Peter chapter 3, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness to the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. It's the knowledge of Christ. And so there are times when God's love for His people seems to be contradicted by His apparent inaction. He says, He loves me. then why is this? It's a whole story of Job. The whole story of Job did not have the knowledge we have. Job remained true to God as frustrated, as bitter as he had become in the midst of those things without even knowing that he was a battleground. That God would use Job for the centuries to come to make Christians stronger, to help Christians get through and stay focused on the main things because Satan is always trying to get us to major in the minor's. God wants us to major in the majors, and faith is it. Their faith, these apostles here facing this uh, demon, they could not cast him out. Their faith is being tested. There is a passage in Habakkuk. If you don't know about the prophet Habakkuk, he is what a, I, I love this prophet. He didn't like what God was showing him. He protested it. But he had resolved. I will stand my watch and see what he's going to do, because he's God. Habakkuk got that. And he writes a song at the end of this experience. When God says, listen, I'm going to judge my people. I'm going to send the Chaldeans. It's going to be brutal. And Habakkuk said, I don't like this. But at the end, he writes this. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will joy in God of, the God of my salvation. You see, he said, I can starve to death. It's not going to stop me from worshiping God. My worship of him is not built on whether I eat or not. Those tough words. Years ago, they seemed a lot easier to enjoy than they do (laughs) as years roll by and the battles stack up. But there they are nonetheless. So we must not allow, now remember, we're talking about the apostles being unable to help this father and his child. When they had done this before, they had cast out demons before. This one wasn't moving. The lesson is, one of them, is that, The sense of inability in confrontation with Satan is not to deceive us into thinking that we will be ineffective in all confrontations with Satan. You you know, when the world says you win some, you lose some. We understand them, and I like it, but we understand it. Well, it's that way in Christianity to a large degree. And we're going to lay some of this out. The battle of the soul is more important than the battle for outward miraculous signs and wonders and some satisfaction that comes with it. It is more important to establish ourselves before God by trusting him. As again, frequently quoted verse from Job, though he slay me, I will trust him. Remember, Job was on a roller coaster. At one moment, he's like, what are you? You're an enemy to me. That's what he said to God. You're like a warrior coming at me. And the next minute he's saying things like that. You know, you you can kill me. You're still going to be my God. Well, that's what happens when you're going through tough times. You're on that roller coaster. One minute you're up high. The next minute you're crashing down to the bottom. God's hand is is on you all the time. You know, one of the struggles for me after all these years is maintaining the joy in the face of opposition. To face opposition, to face life, to face things that perplex me, confuse me, bother me, disturb me, frighten me, and still have some joy in my salvation. As I used to in the early days of Christianity. And yet that is just what Habakkuk said. Yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'm not going to let these things rob me of this. But to do it. To pull it off. We worship God because he is worthy. We've discovered that he is worthy by truth. Not because we approve of what he allows or does not allow. When we get to verse 28, we will revisit this. Uh, this is not unbelief. This is fact. It is not a lack of faith to say God does not dole out the miracles as he did in the book of Acts. Not to say that he can't. Not to say that he does not do it from time to time. But he does not do it on that level. And no one can honestly refute that. Verse 19, he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. The question indicates that there's a limit to his patience. We don't like hearing that. We like to believe that no matter what I do, he's patient, he's loving. Well, we've already covered it. He was irritated at another time with the disciples about the whole bread thing. He said, well, you know, what do I got to tell you to get you to understand some of these lessons? These these this irritations of the Lord with the apostles forced them to up their game. It does it to us too. It puts pressure on us, squeeze out of us a better performance for the kingdom. What, what should he say? That's okay. I kind of like it when you don't believe me. No, he does not. He has to call, He calls him out. You know, Who is he talking to? Oh, faithless generation. He's talking to the, everybody. The environment that he ministered in was an environment of unbelief. Even John the Baptist. Are you the one or are we looking for another one? Because I'm here in jail and the Messiah is supposed to liberate us. And of course, John died at the end of an axe. Uh, the henchmen came and they killed him. Took his head from him. And yet, John the Baptist is in heaven because of his faith. His resolve to trust the Lord. Unbelief gives the Lord Jesus Christ sorrow to some degree. Because unbelief hurts us. It doesn't work for us. It's not. We don't read in the scripture, I encourage you to disbelieve. I encourage you to not have faith so that you can be a better human being. No, we never get that in the Bible. And the world wants to rewrite the definitions of faith without Christ being a part of what they rewrite. And we thumb our nose at them for that. We say, how dare you think that we're supposed to agree with you and we've got something so much better than what you could ever have on your own. And we're not ashamed of this. It is a mistake to learn where we are weak as Christians and not at the same time learn where we are strong. You see, if the apostles just said, that's it, we can't throw it out, that's the end of it. There's no sense in following Jesus anymore. We're powerless, we're impotent. They had other strengths. And if you are a weak Christian, if you think yourself to be, I don't mean someone has told you, I mean, if you think you're just, you know, I'm a weak Christian. Well, welcome to the club, number one. Let's get that one right. And then let's move on from there. Where are your strengths in Christ? Paul talked about the gifts. That's what he was doing. He said, you have strength. You have something to contribute to this fight. It's not all based on one event here today with Satan. You can become educated from your failures, or you can become ruined by them. You have a say-so in that. I have a say-so in it. I've had opportunities to say, that's it. I'm done. When Jesus said, bear your, take up your cross daily and die, he meant just that all the time. Defeat is going to be a part of, apparent defeat is going to be a part of serving him. Life is uh, that way. The world even knows that. They even have bumper stickers that, although crude, they express that very thing. But that's all they've got. We go beyond this. In verse 20 now, Then they brought to him, and then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. Well, just as the boy's father described it. But the sight of Jesus triggered an event. It triggered an episode with this poor child, and this also tells us, this is a little child, he, <clears throat> he didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. It happened because he was born into a cursed world. And uh, OK, what do you could do with that? You're born in a cursed world. Let's all gather after service and wring our fingers. Or are we going to say, Lord, um, where are my strengths and what can I do with them? I know where my weaknesses are. I'd like to sidestep those as often as I can. But so typical of the devil taking a cheap a cheap shot and sucker punches. He's going to do this again. But the mute spirit made a scene before he was going to be cast out, giving the spectators a sample of his power. This is intentionally, this is permitted by Christ on purpose, there's a purpose for him allowing this exhibition. You would think that why did he shut this guy down? He doesn't did it with the other ones. One of them, he said, put a muzzle on it. I don't need you to talk again. But this, he lets this one show off a little bit. This one was defiant right in front of Jesus. This one is an especially defiant and daring and dangerous demon. This one has the ability. To kill. That's why he throws the kid in the fire when he can. Or the water when he can. Causing the parents to have to keep an eye on him all the time. And so usually when evil spirits cried out in terror when they confronted Christ. Not this one. This one was more fierce. Verse 21. So he asked his father how long has this been happening to him. And he said from childhood. He said, it's always been this way. born this way. at the early stages, it showed up, at, at the very least. The Lord is asking publicly for a history of this lad and what he's going through because he wants witnesses. He wants people to understand the spiritual world is very serious and has no mercy. And he's dragging it out into the light and exposing it. And to this day, we're learning from it. He wants it on record, and it worked, because Mark published it, and so did Matthew and Luke. Also, these are some of the details that would explain to his servants why they couldn't throw this obnoxious imp out of the child, because this one was a real bad guy. There are different levels of demons, and I believe they are. The fallen angels. And I believe that. And while I'm getting ahead of myself, I'll get to those verses later. Uh, But, uh, and I will, Lord willing. Uh, But uh, they got these details about what they're messing with here. And this explains why the Lord allows the defiance. He wants future generations to know. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. He says, "...lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices." Paul's writing about dealing with sinners. He says, you know, you've got to know when to hit them, and you've got to know when to hold back. Because we know Satan is up to no good, and he wants to destroy the individual. We want to find a solution. And if the individual that's trapped in some uh, egregious outward sin, if we can find a way to fix this, that's what we want to do. Tolerating the sin is not going to work. Yet, slamming the person with no solution is not going to work either, because Satan would get in there and do damage. Peter put it this way, be sober-minded, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And, then, and listen, when Peter says this, what tone is he using? Now, there's two ways to look at it. Peter says, resist him. <laughs> well, he doesn't say, resist him. He just some authority in that. And, and I say when I read that, yeah, I've tried resisting him. He keeps coming. And the Bible says, well, keep resisting Because the alternative to stop, to to no longer resisting the devil is not worth it. Resist him steadfast. That's what he means. Keep on doing it. In faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You have other brothers facing the same devil. And they're resisting him. And you are supposed to be part of the same body. The brotherhood. And So from childhood... Uh, again, it's not a moral malady. The kid did not commit a sin. Some, some do uh, invite demons in. Others don't. Verse 22. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You can hear the father's plea. My, my, my child. This especially violent demon, as mentioned, taking opportunity to destroy him. That's what he was after. That's the objective of the underworld. That's why we don't bargain with the underworld. And if you can do anything, discouraged by the failure of Jesus' disciples, the Father still hopes. And so again, we may suffer great setbacks and defeats. Paul Paul wrote this, the great apostle Paul, the Jeremiah of the New Testament. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Don't undervalue that. We don't know what God is doing. But we're not giving up. That's what it means. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're not lost faith. He continues. Persecuted, not forsaken. Are you kidding me? I thought if you're being persecuted, Christ is not protecting you. So he evidently has forsaken you. That's carnality. Christians have gone to the stake and burned alive knowing Christ had not forsaken them. It's the whole idea behind Christ standing up when Stephen's being stoned and standing up to receive him. I'm right here. I see them stoning you, but they don't see me bringing you into heaven. You see it. Struck down, but not destroyed. Church is still here, world, and the church will stay here. The church... The church as we know it won't be here, but believers will be here through the great tribulation period. The church will be outlawed, illegal, gone. But there will be converts during the great tribulation such as the world has never known. Paul said this earlier in the second Corinthian letter. Some of his experience as a great leader, a miracle worker. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came upon us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength. And pause there. You've heard that he won't give you any burden greater than you can bear. That's not accurate. There's a lot of truth in it. But Paul is saying we were were burdened beyond measure, above strength. Yet he had nowhere to go but up. And then he says, so that we despaired even of life. We hated life. That's how bad it was for Paul. And yet, how does he go out? Total believer. And so, now that we're getting these fundamentals straight, but if you can do anything, he comes to Christ. He says the father, here in verse 22 at the bottom, have compassion on us and help us. The mom is likely there. He's certainly including the child. The father is at the end of himself because of his child's condition, verse 23 Jesus said to him, Now this this must have hit the witnesses pretty strong because it again it is preserved. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I'm going to get to the end of the, I'm going to get to the punchline right away. All things are possible to those who believe. What happens when I want to believe, but I don't? And that's what we're dealing with here. So this is very interesting to me as a human being who knows there is a God, who knows His name, who knows His nature, as much as He is revealed, as much as I can handle. I know the character of God. I look at Jesus Christ. You see the Son, you see the Father. This Father, this father of the child, He wanted to believe. But He did not have belief enough. Not by the standards that Christ was calling Him to believe at the moment. And yet Jesus worked with a little bit of faith. He, I mean, he, he did that with the bread and the fish. I mean, if he can multiply bread and fish, he can certainly do something with just a smidgen of faith. He doesn't turn the Father away. Ah, that's not enough. I told you if you could believe the impossible. Well, he didn't believe the impossible enough, but he wanted to. The great struggle of trusting God in the midst of terrifying circumstances when you don't know what's going to happen. Well, are they going to skin me alive? How far is this going to be allowed to go? I personally believe that Christians who are persecuted, God meets them. He doesn't just let them suffer as sufferers go. I believe he, he works with them through whatever it is they're facing. Not to put a, a ribbit on it and call it something other than what it is. It's is still Persecution verse 24 immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe help my unbelief again the word for child here is small child lord i believe help my unbelief this is without hesitation without pretense you're not faking it well you know i'm going to act like i believe because that's what he's looking for but he's flat out i don't i don't have it i got a little bit i believe but i don't understand I believe, but I don't believe like you want me to believe. That's what Peter was saying to the Lord. Lord, I love you, but I don't love you as much as I thought I loved you. And yet, the Lord did not chase Peter away. He doesn't chase this man away. He doesn't chase me away. Hell cannot beat our weakness. That's what we have to learn. God's not stopped by it. If hell could beat our weakness, Christ would say, I'm sorry. The sign says you have to have faith this tall. And you don't have it. So you can't get blessed today. It's not what he says to him. Second Corinthians, Paul learned this. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Not Paul's strength. Christ's strength. How many times have I have said that and felt that there has been no movement of God. No victory. No contribution from heaven. And yet here I am still a believer. So the contribution was given. And the proof is the faith. The proof is in the faith, still trusting, still serving, still looking to do my best. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the people, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him and enter him no more. This part where it says Jesus saw the people coming running together, and that's when he went into action is telling us this is not entertainment. Uh, I'm not trying to give people something to watch for the sake of watching it. He tells the spirit, spirit this demonic spirit to come out of him and don't come back. It's critical, is it not? Which tells us he can come back. And he has a whole parable on that one. But he can't come back for this lad Verse 26, Then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. A parting cheap shot that serves no purpose but to terrorize the witnesses and harm the lad. If I cannot have you to torment, then no one else can have you to care for you. That's Satan. And we find this in people. You find this in human beings that have this attitude. If I can't have you to make miserable, then nobody can have you to take care of you. And God says, we'll see about that. Uh, You know, we're pretty much sheltered from the even darker evils that lurk. Any of you familiar with far-reaching ministries? They're facing evils that we don't get to see on a regular basis. They face them on a regular basis. And they take dealing with those things to another righteous level that needs to be given because they understand the activity of demons uh, on human beings. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. The Jesus factor (laughs) makes a difference. If he doesn't take you by the hand and raise you up in this life, he'll do it right after this life if you belong to him. Had Jesus not touched him, then what would have happened? Well, he probably would have been dead. So there the the demon takes his little shot and leaving because he was a particularly fierce one. Verse 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? They were disturbed. They were humiliated. They, They didn't let this go, and nor should they have. It would have been something wrong if they were, I'm good. They didn't do that. Their inability to prevail over evil bothered them. First, the first reason is what Jesus says, uh, this kind, when we get to uh, verse 29. Uh, As I mentioned, a particularly fierce demon. But I want to repeat some of what we've already covered because I think it's that important. Sometimes we believers encounter defeat in ministry, in spiritual warfare, Whether it is in the battle of our inner life to be pure or maybe uh, uh, efforts to reach others with the gospel or to help others, uh, we encounter defeat. What would happen if we encountered these defeats and quit? Then we would be a defeat for someone else to have encountered. The idea is to keep moving forward inner-city ministries, you're going to face a lot of defeats, a lot of things you can't fix. They're that far gone. I think that the same sins operate in more middle-class areas, but they're more polished. You can cover cover them up. You're better at dealing with them even in many cases than what's in inner cities where the Tragedy has been allowed to just run for so long. It's, it's so deeply in, embedded into the individuals and the families. It's very hard to, to, to get out. And yet, people in those families get saved nonetheless. Miracles, if just, miracles breed a craving for more miracles if you're not careful. If you're not moving by faith. It is not now the normal to Christianity to perform visible signs. Not to say they don't happen, especially in uh, foreign countries where the Bible is not available, where the, you know, freedom is, is shut down. You, you do have uh, higher reports from trustworthy sources of miraculous activities. But in other areas where the word is allowed to be preached, that is supposed to be what carries the church and moves it forward and is used to save souls. Something spectacular is a wrong basis for faith. God said, what do I got to do? Juggle balls up in the, you know, what do I have to do to get you to believe? How about I just show you the facts? Oh, that's not good enough. I wouldn't say that to the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Paul concluded. That's where it had come. God used the miracles. They are part of the process, but they, they weren't a permanent part. And so it is, I think, delusional to think that we can do miracles as the apostles, as many as we read in the book of Acts, just, you know, raising the dead. And and, and and, and if you say, I don't agree with you, pastor, show me. Very simple. But that's not the whole story. I know some of you cringe at this because you're not listening. Maybe all you've heard is no miracles. Ah! Your head has run out the building. So Robert Anderson, you know, he's British, if he gets a sir in front of him. In his book, The Silence of God, said this. The plain fact is that with all who believe the Bible, the great difficulty respecting miracles is not their occurrence, but their absence. He says, I don't have a problem believing miracles. I have a problem that I don't see them. Why, how come I don't see the miracles anymore? Okay, he goes on to answer that, but I've already answered it better than him, incidentally. <laughs> Not true. Acts chapter 28. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of the house on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So healings were taking place by who? The Apostle Paul. Mass healings. Then we get to the end of Paul's ministry. He's in jail now. Well, he's, when he writes this, this is his next to last appearance in jail, likely. He writes, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus... I have left in Miletus sick. I couldn't heal him. He's there sick. That's where I left him. This uh, inability to continuously dole out the miracles was part of the process of God. Incidentally, Trophimus, whom Paul could not heal, he was present when that lad Eutychus fell out the window at one of Paul's long sermons. You think I go a little long. Paul preaches until people drop out the window and die. (laughs) Trophimus was there. And yet Paul could not heal him. So did Trophimus say, well, I can't believe this is a little one. I got a little bellyache. You can't fix it. He drops dead. You raise him up. What's going on with this? He does not do that. There is no evidence that any of the apostles performed any miracles during the latter years of their ministry. You'll get to their letters. It is about the truth. It is about faith. And they did not say to Jesus Christ, the signs and wonders that we were doing are seem to be fading, so we're not going to follow you anymore and preach you anymore. I would have been right out of hell. The miracles faded as the church became strong in truth, in fact, when people were believing because of the message and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is why he was given at Pentecost, for us to be witnesses in J- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I believe in the gifts and miracles, but I believe in faith more. You cannot eliminate supernatural, uh, the, the supernatural from Christianity and still have Christianity. It belongs here. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's, pretty serious. That's a pretty serious endorsement of faith. The just live by trusting God. And if you draw back from trusting Him, you have my displeasure. So, it does not say not that the just shall live by signs and wonders, but trust even without signs and wonders. Hell hates our faith more than anything. He hates that we're simply going to trust God. He hated it in Job, and he hates it In every other believer. Verse 29, almost done. So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Don't lose the significance of this kind. Uh, Much of the information about demons and fallen angels is shrouded in mystery for us. We're not told uh, many details. There are other demons out there that are even worse than this one. Far worse. Locked away, thank God. We read about that in Revelation chapter 9. The key to the bottomless pit was turned, and let these demons out like locusts. And then, significant verse number, 9-11. Revelation 9-11. And they had, as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has a name, Apollyon. Destruction. This guy is so bad that right now he's locked up. He can't, he can't get out. And he, he's not going to behave until God releases him on the world to do what God wants him to do. A global spiritual emergency is coming. And so when Christ says this kind, it is stated this way uh, in uh, contrast to Worse ones, he says, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Who's praying, 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 excuse me. (laughs) Couldn't get past that one. Who's doing the praying and the fasting? Who's doing the talking? Well, obviously, Christ fasted and prayed himself strong enough because who else has got this kind of power in Christ? Christ. And then we don't hear about the apostles always doing it that way. How much prayer and fasting is not said? This kind of faith is uncommon. Is Christ saying to them, sometimes there are those demons that are that strong that it will take me to do it. Well, uh, I believe that. And we see it happening in the book of Acts. Now, I mentioned about the Bible not saying where these demons come from. But the Bible does say this in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 says, Verse 41, I should read that to you. He will say also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, I think that encompasses the demons because they're not going to be still walking around. They're going somewhere. And I think that the de- demons and the fallen angels are the same. And so I close this morning, and you might be saying, "Finally, failure it ruins some, but it educates others." What are we going to do with it? When you fail as a believer, you get educated. Whether it's in mercy and grace, whether you just cannot clean up the inner man, but you, you say, "You know what? I'm not that. I'm going to learn." To not be so critical of others. Because I know myself that I fail. Failure will either ruin your faith or educate it. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, lessons from your scripture fly off the pages for us. Because you want us to be better at the confession of our faith. And we want to also. May we receive the lessons that you have for us. May we do something with them to your glory. May we understand it is not only a benefit to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is an honor. If you've been listening here in the church or online, and you've never opened your heart to Christ, but as you've been listening, the Holy Spirit of God has been working on your heart. If you'd like to be a disciple of Christ, then you've got to say it. You've got to verbalize it. And you've got to mean it. If you make this prayer, for example, in earnest, God will receive you and you will be his. If you confess and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your laws and I come to you for forgiveness. No one else died for me on the cross and rose again to demonstrate their authority. No one else has the power. No one else is God the Son. And I come to you and I ask you to forgive me and to receive me. And from this day forward, to be not only the one who forgives me for my sin and my sins, but also the one who is the Lord over my life, now and forever. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning... At the end of the service, may they not hesitate to make their confession known when invited to share it with one of the pastors or call the church. And these things we pray and commit to your hands in Jesus' name. Amen.